Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. As you saw in last week's Washington update, the administration released a proposed regulation last week that touches on short-term limited duration plans, fixed indemnity plans, and level-funded plans. In addition to this, NABIP also submitted a comment letter to the NAIC earlier this week regarding some proposed privacy provisions. To discuss all of this on this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour is our very own John Green and Michael Andel. But before we get into those topics, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Promoting Access to Treatments and Increasing Extremely Needed Transparency, or Patient Act, of 2023. You may have seen this bill in your inbox this week when we sent our Operation Shout asking members to urge your lawmakers to support the Patient Act. The Patient Act focuses on increasing transparency in healthcare broadly, but specifically, it would enact certain site-neutral payment reforms that NABIP supports, such as equalizing Medicare payments between the hospital outpatient departments and physician offices. Regarding hospital price transparency, H.R. 3561 would grant the federal government the authority required to mandate that hospitals publish an annual list of shoppable services they provide, including specified pricing information. As of January 1, 2021, Hospital systems are already required to keep on their websites clear accessible pricing information about the items and services they provide. But we learned earlier this year that only about 24% of providers complied fully with this rule. For that reason, NABIP is supportive of these hospital price transparency provisions. Additionally, we have also said in the past that if hospitals are to post their list prices online, it should also be coupled with quality data. Thankfully, the Patient Act contains a provision directing the Secretary of HHS to collect and publish quality data in addition to list prices. NABIP also supports provisions aimed at increasing transparency in PBM practices. Many large PBM contracts do not include details on rebates, prices, fees, or other charged amounts. To rectify this issue, the Patient Act would require PBMs providing services on behalf of a health plan to report this information to the plan sponsor. So please, if you haven't already done so, go to your email and urge your representative to co-sponsor HR 3561 and support passage to lower healthcare costs and improve transparency for patients. Your clients can also send a direct message. Tell them to take action today. Now, with all that being said, let's get to the other topics at hand. Let's get right into the meat of this proposed rule because there is a lot to cover. First off, let's reiterate that this is a proposed rule and it is not currently finalized and we will be submitting formal comments before it is finalized. That being said, I mentioned a few areas that this proposed rule deals with, but let's start with the headline, short-term plans. So what changes are the agencies proposing regarding short-term limited duration plans? 
Well, thanks, Dan, for having us on. And this is an important proposed regulation because not just for the short-term limited duration aspect of what the rule is focused on, but for other aspects of the rule, as you alluded to, and what they might be fishing for. So let's start with the short-term limited duration plans themselves. So just to give a short history, when the Obama administration made them rather short, three months or so, the Trump administration proposed extending them out for a year and then allowing them to be stacked for up to three years. The Biden administration has been saying for some time that they were going to take another look at this. And when the Democrats controlled the House, you may recall there were quite a few calls for getting rid of the so-called junk plans. So the Biden administration came out on Friday, as they often do on a Friday late in the day, and announced this proposed rule to revert back to the original rule, which is three-month duration with a possible fourth month. So it's limited to four months. And so how does NABIT feel about this? What is our position on what the maximum coverage period for short-term plans should be? Well, we frankly thought that the Obama administration's and now the Biden administration's proposed rule for limiting it to three months or four months under the current proposed rule is too short, but that the Trump administration went too far and made them too long. And so we, we always felt that six months was appropriate amount of time for these plans as they are intended just to fill gaps, right, in between coverages. And depending on the time of year and the different things like that with, you know, signups and waiting times and so forth, six months is long enough to cover any potential gaps in coverage. So moving on to the fixed indemnity plan section of this proposed rule, this is a section we've been mulling all week. So Michael, for those who don't normally work with these plans, what are they? Thanks, Dan. Fixed indemnity plans can be set up in several different types. A common one is hospital indemnity, which pays cash to you based on medical events, such as an overnight stay at the hospital or procedures that you might receive in the hospital. Some other indemnity plans are accident insurance, which pays you in the event of an accident. Cancer insurance that pays you cash in a bit of a cancer diagnosis. And these have been quite popular after the ACA. And a lot of non-health insurance companies have offered them as well, including life insurance and PNC companies. So essentially, it's income replacement pays you cash based on a medical incident. So with that being said, what does this proposed rule seek to do regarding these specific fixed indemnity plans? Well, the agencies have several concerns that have been around for years, and some of these have been shared with state departments of insurance, which are there are some fixed indemnity products which have lots of triggers. So they end up mimicking major medical insurance, and the regulators are concerned that they pay for all sorts of medical-related incidences, and such as like getting a blood draw, getting a temperature taken, getting a prescription, and they add up to almost a, a full coverage of a doctor's visit or a hospital visit. 
as opposed to just a one-time check per day or per incident. So what they're proposing are a couple of things. One is just to simplify the whole thing. So it's truly independent of your, your health insurance. What makes it an accepted benefit is that it cannot coordinate with what actually happens within the doctor's office. So they're, they're almost proposing that it only pay per day instead of per incident, whatever you're doing. If you go to the hospital, it just pays once a day. Uh, if you go to the doctor, it just pays once. It doesn't pay regardless of what you do inside the doctor's office. The second part of their concerns are whether these payments are income or not. And so the closer they get to paying for medical expenses, the more likely they're to be excluded from your income. But the closer they are to getting to your medical expenses, the more likely they're able to regulate them. So they'll, get, they'll switch from accepted benefits to just a medical reimbursement insurance. So it kind of gets complicated. We won't go further in the weeds. But if, as the way that tri-agencies are setting up these rules, it could really change how companies such as Unum and Aflac sell their base product. What is NABIP's position on this section regarding these changes to fixed indemnity plans? Well, Dan, we're reading the rule even further to be sure that, number one, that we could still sell these products, especially at the work site. So as long as there's taxable benefits and employers are able to offer these plans, that's number one. And number two, we want to make sure that the employees can understand what they're purchasing. And I think that's the consumer focus that we're, we're going to be looking at. Beyond that, we'll look at the details and share that with the membership as we go through this. The final section in this proposed rule that's relevant to our members is the section in which they are soliciting information about level-funded plans. So do we know exactly what sort of information the tri-agencies are looking for, and do we know what they plan to do with it? Well, we actually don't know. I think that when they find out more about these level-funded plans, they may not like the answers that they get. Namely, that the fact that uh, these plans are underwritten is something which, you know, the ACA doesn't allow, right? No longer can do underwriting. But for the self-funded, uh, level-funded plans, there is underwriting involved. And so that would, I think, actually require legislation. And that's what's sort of scary here is when we get into, you know, that kind of space where we're legislating on this. As, you know, Michael said, with respect to indemnity plans, uh, we want to still make these plans available. A lot of employers use them and they actually provide, you know, savings to employers and to the employees who have to pay the premium. So we're going to be watching this closely to see where they land on that. We're going to give them the best feedback we possibly can about them. But it, it feels a bit like a fishing expedition to see where it's out of compliance with the ACA. And I think that's an area of concern. So let's conclude today by talking about the NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, for those who are not aware, is the standard setting and regulatory support organization governed by the chief insurance regulators from across the country. And they recently released new draft sections of the proposed revision to the Consumer Privacy Protections Model Law, and we submitted comments and response. So 
what is this model law and what did we say? So HIPAA and HITECH have not been updated in a number of years. I remember back in, in 2000 when I first got here, Jessica Waltman and I worked on, on HIPAA regulations for about two years uh, when the Clinton administration gave way to the Bush administration and reissued the HIPAA guidelines. So think about all the technology that exists today that did not exist then. And so perhaps this is a good time to talk about, you know, how we stay up with the times and acknowledge the fact that, you know, we do a lot of things electronically and so forth. And that's the high tech piece. So there's, you know, there's these two parts. There's the HIPAA part. And then uh, there's the high tech part, which has to do more with the technology aspects of privacy. So what we said is that it was largely positive feedback on this most current draft. The initial draft was not in sync with the federal guidelines, and that was problematic. Having to be you know, subject to two different masters is very difficult. Having one master is hard enough. And so there's greater alignment with the federal rules. So that's number one. And second is that uh, agents and brokers who are in compliance get a safe harbor and so it, it just makes it a, a lot smoother in terms of, you know, the compliance aspect of it, that they have certain protections because they're in compliance. This is only an early iteration. They're still in the early stages, and there will be future drafts. So we were pleased to provide a letter of support for the most current version, and we'll be keeping an eye on future versions and commenting as they go. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So, Michael, who are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting all the new officers and legislative chairs and other committee chairs and all the state and local chapters. It's a new year for NABIP. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NABIP's Healthcare Happy Hour the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.